Hello and welcome to episode 69 of the Cognicast, a podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people that create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. I don't have too much in the way of announcements for you right now. I'm recording this at the very tail end of uh, 2014 and uh, we've got a bunch of stuff on tap for early 2015, but we're not quite ready to talk about it. You'll certainly hear about all of those things as we're ready to share them with the world. Um, So I guess I'll just say here at the close of the year, uh, happy holidays to those to everyone that celebrates uh, whatever you celebrate. Uh, Hope you enjoy the break if you're taking one from work and We will talk to you again in the new year, so we'll go on to episode 69 of the Cognicast. Yeah, yeah, ready to go. Awesome. Okay, so welcome everybody. Today is Friday, October 10th, year 2014, and this is the Cognicast. I am super happy today to welcome our guest, Dr. Sam Aaron. Welcome to the show, Sam. Hi. Uh, So we are um, obviously thrilled to have you. I think anybody that follows the closure and related technology scene has had a good chance of having seen or encountered some of your work, which we'll get to in a moment. Before we do that, and... um, I suppose, in a way, this is getting to your work. I'm going to ask you about intro music. As you may know, we always ask people to play us, us for a song to play in uh, the show with. What would you like us to play? That's a good question. Well, I guess already you're probably hearing it, so I'm kind of introducing something that, that's playing, but doesn't actually yet exist. So I'm going to write some music with my software for this introduction in a moment. <laughs> But you'll be hearing it now, so it already exists, right? Yeah. It's like in the future, but from the past. Well, I mean, the podcasting is always, in a sense, time travel, although most often in the other direction. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so so obviously um, this really touches on one of the things that we definitely want to talk about today, although I think um, anybody that's looked at uh, the work you've done knows that... Uh, I mean, we're I'm per- pretty crazy, probably. You're pretty crazy, right, but in a good way. <laughs> In the way of like you've done a ton of things and a ton of interesting things. Thank you. Um, music is clearly one of them. So people may well know you as one of the main contributors to um, to Overtone. Um, yeah. Which is a bit of music software that uses Clojure um, and SuperCollider to uh, allow people to create music. Although I'm doing a poor job of introducing it when one of the chief contributors is sitting right here. So maybe Sounds great to me. <laughs> just start with Overtone and. And I, uh, there's more to talk about, but we can start there. How would you, for anybody that hasn't encountered it, what it, what is Overtone and, and why is it might be interesting to our listeners? So Overtone allows you to, if you're a Clojure programmer, right? If you're a Clojure programmer, it allows you to use your programming skills to turn code into sounds. And not just play sounds, but to design sounds, to create new kinds of sounds that have never existed before. And also, if you're 
not a closure programmer it's a great way to get started with closure because it's it's a fun way to to ex- explore the language to play around and to to learn and i mean when you think about introductions to programming languages there's like the hello worlds and there's like the fibonacci sequence and the sorting and who really cares about those things people just want to make big fat sounds so <laughs> Heritone is a way to, to to explore closure and to explore your creativity through code yeah now this this really touches on i think one of one of the things that that you could see as a common thread through the efforts that you're most uh, known for specifically education i mean Maybe that's maybe that's even the wrong word. I don't know if you'd use that word, but like teaching people, um, sure, and you know, using creativity as a part of the learning process. You spoke about this a bit at your um, in your more than a bit in your Strange Loop uh, keynote, which was um, awesome. You guys, you and Karen Meyer, and, and yeah, uh, thanks. What was the show? Yeah, mostly Karen. That was just really. <laughs> uh, well, her, her robots are wicked. They were super awesome, no question. But I, I think, uh, I think you give yourself too little credit. In, in any event, clearly. Education is really important to you, um, and I think it's really interesting to look at the things you've done in that context. So, for me, it's it's pretty it's close to home because I have a, a almost ten year old daughter, and she we've mentioned on the show before she likes Scratch, and I, I think Scratch is great. It's not the only thing out there, but one of the really <laughs> things about it touches exactly on what you said, which is that it it makes it lets people do interesting things. Right in in the sense of like you do it and you're like that's really cool in a way that yeah and ways that matter to you like that and that other people can understand like I remember when I was doing uh, my PhD I'd go to parties I mean I used to go to parties right (laughs) and um and people come up to me and say so what's your name I say hi I'm Sam and they say what are you doing I say I'm doing a PhD in computer science and they're just like oh. And there'll be no more conversation and that'll be dead and it'll be a tragedy because I'm like ready to say, and it's so exciting and there's so many amazing things I can share with you. But this conversation is not possible because you've just gone, oh, and when we talk about education, when I talk about education, I think it's more than schools. It's everybody. It's trying to share the joys we have in code and the experiences we have through programming with as many people as possible so that they can have their own similar joys and experiences. Uh, and so that when I go to a party again and I say I'm a programmer, they go, cool, what do you program? There's a, there's a possibility for conversation, which, which is currently not possible because society in general knows absolutely nothing about programming. And that's something we need to change. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. I mean, I, I remember a conversation I had one time with, uh, I think it's not just programming. I had a conversation with a parent of a, one of uh, my children's friends. And she said, oh, I'm a math teacher. I said, oh, I love math. And she was blown away. She's like, I never get that reaction. I think. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So what? So tackling it through a bunch of different ways, right? So one is that I want to show people what programming is. So, so one way to do that is I can't just rock up with Emacs and say, look, this is code because no one's going to care. But I can rock up and do a gig and people will be interested. And they can say, look, this is Emacs, this is Clojure, this is programming. And then they start to say, oh, OK, I didn't realize that code could make music. It's like, well, what did you think it could do? It's like, well, I, all, all I knew is it could make apps and websites. It's like, really? Um, and so trying to communicate that code can be so much more is one way to get started that, with that conversation. And similarly, in schools, kids, are, I mean, 
there's there's a big been a really exciting push in the UK for new curriculum for computing, which is just launched this year. And there's a there's a bunch of organisations making uh, materials to get kids excited about programming, and oh, they're just depressing. One of them was um, uh, the the headline was this is this is the headline to get a a twelve year old kid like foaming at the mouth to like get coding. The headline is give binary a try. Give and the other one was fun with sorting. Oh, like yeah. seriously, who's had fun with who the who in the world has had fun with sorting? Trying to find ways to actually get people excited or engaged so that they actually can experience what programming is 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 core to it, the, my education mission, if you can call that weird word. And that's not just in schools, but but in but everywhere for everybody. And so I give workshops uh, for professional programmers to learn closure with the Lambda Next stuff. I give workshops for adults and and on the elderly to learn how to code music similarly for young children and in schools and in computing lessons and music lessons now as well so trying to engage people across the board in understanding what what coding could be and particularly to give them a creative experience through code Uh, i'm interested in um one all of these things but one that you just (laughs) mentioned was um teaching uh older people to code i wonder if there's anything unique about that experience or about your approach there that you have to do differently or that comes out of that differently than say working with children? so far the only real difference i've noticed is that children are more willing to make mistakes but other than that the tools i've been developing to do teaching have worked similarly for all ages because they're tools for people who don't know how to code and six-year-olds don't know how to code just as much as 60 year olds so actually it turns out that those tools see well the ones i've built seem to seem to work for that and and that's i guess that's because the the medium for engaging them is is interesting to both well to all audiences which is in my case music right so you mentioned the tools and i mean i think people are familiar with some of those you have the the overtone i think might be the the best yeah so overtone like it worked really well for getting people excited about what the possibilities of code is and to see that it's much more than they thought or that it actually can have an impact in their lives and uh, the the doing gigging with my band MetaX has has started to demonstrate that to people and that's super exciting. But trying to teach people uh, how to code with Clojure with Overtone has been has been a very difficult thing and and turned out to 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 be in sort of a non-starter. And so I've since made developed. It. Sorry, sorry, what made it? Well, I was just going to say what made it what made it a non-starter? Like what were the thing, challenges? Well, I think that Clojure is specifically. I, forgive me if I'm if I if I'm being uh, inappropriate, but it seems to be very targeted to uh, professional developers. You know, and it's like if you look at the documentation; it's all very terse and all very directed to people who are prepared to put the time in to understand how it works. And it rewards massively for that. Closure is a fantastic language once you've got your head inside, but it's not trivial to get your head inside. If that makes any sense. Well, that wasn't for me anyway. But once I once I did have a, a deeper understanding of closure i just that was there was no other language that i was prepared to, to play with for more than five minutes but that's like but that's me right as a as a programmer has somebody who spent a long time uh, uh sitting in front of a monitor staring at text uh, but for other people they want an experience immediately and they want to have that that joy or whatever the thing you're trying to sell them and, and when you've said you should give this a try they want it pretty quickly and so having to set up emacs or having to set up even light table or just understand what all these things, different parts of all these moving parts can be, can be quite a lot of 
friction, I think. That, at least is my experience. So having something which is absolutely no friction is, is great. And it's not to say that that's not possible with Clojure right now. Well, in the future, but it's just I've not seen a tool chain that, that makes it that trivial. Yeah, well, I think uh, this actually is... I, I, I can't disagree. I think if you look at uh, the talk that Rich gave at Closure, I think it was Closure West a couple of years ago, where he talked about you know design and composition and compared you know programming tool to an instrument. You know, yeah. Right. And he said, well, you don't kazoo's are great, <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't you know maybe write a symphony for kazoo's. Maybe you would as a novelty, but it's not. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. I think it's the same thing. It's it's you know, precisely like the cello, right? Like I wouldn't necessarily pick that as an instrument for somebody who just was kind of interested in music i might pick something like a recorder and then go well yeah. if you like that here's this cello and if you put some time in you know. yeah, yeah yeah anyway sorry please continue exactly no so this is exactly that analogy is perfect so in terms of engaging people i needed to build the equivalent of a kazoo so i built something called sonic pi which is um which is my kazoo of of music making with code um, which I built in three weeks for a teacher to teach computing in a school, uh, a lovely teacher called Carrie Ann Philbin, who was uh, starting to teach, well, she was already teaching uh, uh, computing, but she wanted to actually teach programming because in the UK we were teaching logos design and uh, how to, uh, all sorts of nonsense, basically office skills, uh, which which can be very valuable. I don't want to dismiss it too much. And it's it's important to continue to teach these things to some level, but it was also missing out on the the great benefits of teaching programming as a fundamental subject. Uh, and so we were working towards creating a, a a tool which we could use to engage kids in computing, proper programming, and and also a set of lesson plans, schemes of work for teachers to then take this themselves and to teach it in other classes around around the world, really. But we were specifically targeting the UK curriculum. So I'd love to hear more about Sonic Pi. I actually have it on my laptop in a twist. <laughs> you put it there. <laughs> yeah, there we are. And I haven't, unfortunately, uh, sat down with it and spent uh, time. Shame on you. Yeah, That's I your know. own life. You're wasting away there, not doing Sonic Pi. I have no excuse. I am, in fact, filled with shame. But um, for <laughs> other people who haven't even had the opportunity yet, maybe you could talk a bit more about, about that tool, like what you get, what you see, how it works, etc. Yeah, well, originally... Okay, a couple of years ago when I built it, it was super fast dev time. I had three months to build a tool, uh, which I thought was going to be a prototype, right, that may potentially be used in schools. I thought that was a fair sort of time frame. But it turned out in that three months, they wanted me to build a prototype and then also fully engineer it and then give it to kids, get them to use it, find a teacher to work with, design a lesson plan and deliver lessons in three months. So there was a whole ton of work to be done in that very short time frame. And I wanted to do a bit of all of that. And so... Development time was very, very short. So I built the simplest thing I could possibly build. I mean, I originally tried, right? So also the the platform for this was the Raspberry Pi because one of the goals is to, to lower the barrier to entry. And so affordability is one of those potential barriers. And so getting Overtone to run the Raspberry Pi wasn't trivial or in fact possible at the stage. So, so it, it, I, mean, I, I got it running, but it took seven minutes to boot. That's probably because Overtone's not necessarily the most efficient <laughs> library for booting but i mean it's not necessarily fair to port something designed for a much beefier system to a very very constrained system so then i built the simplest thing i could uh, out of the language which i knew at the time other than clojure which was ruby which also i'd seen a bunch of people do some cool stuff particularly why the lucky stiff it does some really nice things for kids so there's try ruby and uh, no try ruby um what's it called again uh shoes it was wicked and um 
so I knew that you could actually make something that's quite expressive and readable and not too much friction about having to put parentheses there or semicolons there. And yeah, and it, all it did was make beeps and, and you could time the beeps between other beeps and, and they could make sort of basic melodies out of these hideous sine waves. And they loved it. It was a lot of fun, you know, and uh, they really got to grips with it and you could use it to teach if statements and conditionals and randomization and all these cool stuff that the computing curriculum was was sort of calling for. But then since then, I've I made a sort of a question to myself. Is that I was still using overtone to do most of my musical creative output and this sonic pi thing was sort of a toy to use in school classrooms to, to teach the computing so i challenged myself i said what would it take to turn sonic pi into something i'd be prepared to perform with on stage is that possible and so sonic pi 2 uh, which i launched uh, released a couple of weeks ago is exactly that it's it's just orders of magnitude more exciting more enjoyable more fun to play with than Sonic Pi 1, and most surprising, it's actually more fun than Overtone. <laughs> so that's that blew me away. I really didn't expect that at all, but I'm, I've got like a number of bands now, a number of different uh, collaborations I'm working with, all because Sonic Pi makes it so much more fluid for me to get ideas out of my head into into music. What What makes it that way? I mean, what are the differences that... Well, it's a good question. I haven't really figured it out yet. One of the goals of Sonic Pi has and always will be to make it easy to teach computing. So it's there's low friction to do anything, really. And also making sure everything was simple, I guess, sort of got rid of lots of the conceptual clutter that, that I, I, I guess I allowed to exist in Overtone, mainly because Overtone was about power. Can I get all the power of Super Collider from Clojure? So I've got to do a bit of creating this thing and that thing and storing that over there and shifting this over there. I'm prepared to do that because I can do that as a programmer. I'm fine with that. But I can't ask a kid to do all these various steps just to make a sound. Like, for example, in in Overtone, if you want to make a sound, well, you've got to design it first. <laughs> you know, or you've got to go and find one of the sounds and you've got to fa- figure out how to import it into the namespace and then how to trigger it. And all these things are friction. And so with Sonic Pi, you just write the word play in a number and it makes a beep. It's so easy to, to even get started. And because I was focusing on making it simple for the kids, it, it, it seems, I need to spend more time thinking about this, but it seems that that simplicity has also bled into the performance aspect. It's easy for me to perform with it. And one of the sort of, one of the really exciting things is I, I really focus on timing. So the timing is really intuitive and super, super accurate. We just wrote a, a paper for an ICFP workshop where we've got mathematical models. My friend Dominic Orchard wrote mathematical models to to demonstrate that the the reasoning and design of this, this, the timing mechanism I, I built was completely sound. Also, the effects chains, there's no need, like, there's no need to create like a reverb and to manage it through time and to destroy it and all that sort of stuff. It, it also manages it for you so you just say around this code add reverb and around this code add some echo and it it creates the reverb and it destroys it for you automatically on background threads so you don't have to worry about that stuff and so when you're performing you don't want to worry about that stuff actually and so sonic pi takes care of it and so the tools i've been using the ideas to teach the kids have really benefited me as a performer Uh, and that's happened in in a multitude of different places so it's just it's just a lot of fun to play with well, I, yeah, <laughs> clearly. I mean, I oh, no, now, I've, now I've got another. Every time somebody comes on the show, they say, I made this thing. It's awesome. I'm like, 
No, seriously, I, 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 I don't normally talk about things I've built in any kind of over positive way because I like to try and put them in their context and where they sit. But with Sonic Pi, it really is, it really is my masterpiece that I've, I've built in my life, and I'm really incredibly proud and incredibly lucky about how it's turned out because I guess I didn't expect these things to fall in the way they've fallen but they have and everybody I've shown it to across the board from programmers to children to the elderly to musicians to live coders to glitch artists to proper conceptual artists uh, to educators to teachers have just really got excited about it and watching them get excited about it is the most rewarding thing that's ever happened to me in my life and so yeah I <laughs> it is really very good and you really should give it a try and it will uh if you're into making some crazy sounds if that's something you you, you fancy having a go at or you you've never experienced before then totally give it a try it currently runs on raspberry pi it's installed by default so if you just go to the desktop double click on the icons there and you can download it for the mac uh from sonic-pi.net and in in a month's time or less than a month we can have a windows version as well so you, there's no excuse to to not play with it. Yeah, that is that is super cool. I mean, I I touched it a bit, but obviously. Anyway, so I yeah. want to ask some I want to ask some nerd questions here because you said a few things that were interesting to me. I mean, you said you wrote the original version in Ruby. Yep. Ruby's not Ruby's not generally known for being good with things like threads that you mentioned as being yep. uh, part of the current implementation. Did, is it a complete rewrite in another language, or did you take some other approach to make that happen? Well, so when you say Ruby's not very good at threads, I mean, it's pretty good at threads. They're just not actual OS threads. Okay. So I use threads, so I get all of the problems of a threaded architecture, but all, uh, but none of the benefits in terms of concurrency. But I do get benefits from, from how it plays out in a, a, a compositional space, in a performance space, because I'm using threads to manage time. And that's worked out to be just a beautiful idea in that when I create a new thread, so everything in Sonic Pi is based on virtual time. That's, that's how it works in terms of accuracy. And so when I sleep, I, I might play 50, sleep for a second, play 72, and it's going to play those notes with a second in between them, the delay. And sleep always advances the virtual time as a thread local in the current thread. And when I create a new thread, it inherits all of the thread locals of the parent thread, but it has its own virtual time. So you can start advancing its time independently of the time of the parent thread. So you get to really have great control over time using the thread model. So if that makes any sense. Does so that make I, sense? It does. I, I assume that the other thread is the one that's actually, you know, kind of sitting in a tight loop and waiting for its virtual time to advance to some... No tight loops at all. It's all, uh, it's all blocking. So what happens is that uh, uh, threads do stuff until they're asked to sleep and then they'll go to sleep and then they'll wake up and then they'll do stuff. Absolutely no tight loops. And so you, when you create a new, uh, new... So it's not a normal Ruby thread. It's like a special SAM thread, which has all the special gubbins about inheriting its, uh, uh, all the thread locals from the parent thread uh, and knowing about virtual time. Uh, and also knowing about their relationship because one of the benefits actually of Ruby's threading model is that you can stop threads at any time because they're not OS threads. So the scheduler is able to do that in a, in a nice way. Whereas if you've got an OS thread, you can't really kill a thread. In Java, they had like a, a kill semantics on threads, but it's been deprecated because the OS, is, it's, not, it's undefined behavior. Um, whereas in Ruby, I, I, when, I, when I've had enough of the sound, I press the stop button and all stop does is it kills the top level threads 
which then in turn cascades down and kills all the subthreads and their subthreads and their subthreads and their subthreads until all the threads are just killed. And that, then the sound stops and all the execution stops. And that's something actually that, that uh, I was actually talking to Rich about a while back, thinking about how I might try and port these ideas back into Overtone. And the killing the threads thing is actually something that's not, it's non-trivial to port back to Clojure without having to re-implement some of the core core uh, functions. Hmm. So yeah. yeah, threads actually beneficial in Ruby because they're green threads, because they're not real threads, turns out to be super useful. Right, so I can imagine, so maybe just to make sure I understand this, when you say play, that's actually, I, I'm doing air quotes on a podcast, I don't know why, <laughs> that's actually asynchronous, right? That's that's start playing something, but the actual playing is happening on another thread? Right. Okay. Well, so we're using Super Collider, right, in the background. So play 50 basically sends an asynchronous open sound control message to the Super Collider server, which then triggers a sound, and then it starts and it runs. I thought, and, you, I thought you said you weren't using Super Collider in... Oh, no, totally, I am. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, yeah, so all the synthesizers in Sonic Pi uh, are all built in Overtone, actually. You know, I'm using the Overtone compiler to compile Clojure designs into binary. Clojure's not used in the runtime loop of Sonic Pi, but it's used in the sort of design time space. Uh, and, yeah, and it's all it's all Super Collider. So Sonic Pi is really um, a redesign and rebuilding of Overtone in Ruby, taking a lot of the ideas I'd originally put into and Jeff had put into Overtone and yeah with with just with modifications on how you control and manipulate it that makes a lot more sense to me I was I was actually wondering how on earth you would pull off the the part that Super Collider does where it's actually I guess talking to the hardware or do a handle yeah I mean there was some guy who gave a talk at uh, the London Ruby user group apparently um someone's telling me a, a month or so or maybe six months ago who was actually doing real-time sound generation from Ruby and I guess you can do it to an extent. You, know, you can obviously just generate a sine wave and you can call, send the, the, the values fast enough to the sound card. But you can't do too much on it. And you have to have a super powerful machine. And Sonic Pi runs on the Raspberry Pi. So there's absolutely no way you're going to do real-time sound synthesis from Ruby on the Raspberry Pi. No. <laughs> but that's really interesting. So you actually, you can actually do, as you said, sophisticated, well, I mean, that's a kind of a value word, but you could do more sophisticated sound design in Overtone and then make use of that from Sonic Pi to kind of orchestrate those those Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so in Overtone, I designed the synthesizers, uh, and they're, the, they're essentially the sounds. And each of those synthesizers is massively parameterizable to modify the sound uh, and change its timbral qualities and its amplitude qualities. And you can control those those parameters arbitrarily through time from sonic pi so sonic pi is not just a language for triggering notes and sleeping in the same way western notation is about triggering notes and rests sonic pi is also about the modification of the timbre through time and a notation for that so that, that i think that's really awesome because now what you have is this tool that's you know sounds like it's very rich i mean you're able to to gig with it and i'm talking about sonic pi yeah, yeah. Use it to teach people in a way that gets them started really quickly, and then yeah. they don't. But they don't hit its limitations because if they get to a certain point, they can say, "Well, now I'm going to go and design my own um, sounds or synths or whatever." Exactly, exactly. Um, and they can currently do that in SuperCollider language or in Overtone. And uh, there's potential to add that kind of design functionality into Sonic Pi itself. It's just I haven't done that yet. I haven't figured out how to make it easy. So Sonic Pi is not so Overtone was about making things possible. And Sonic Pi is about making things easy. So 
making things possible is the first stage it turns out and then you've got to figure out how to make it easy to teach people and show people for them to get it themselves because there's no point having a tool that i'm like a badass at what's the point in that it's completely useless i mean there are people who like to build tools themselves but for me i want to build tools that other people can use that really empowers them to do amazing things so that i can first of all get excited by what they're doing and then secondly in a sort of selfish way i could say to them what's the source code and then they send it to me and then i learn and then I get empowered and other people also see the source code and they learn as well and everyone just benefits. So um, making things easy has is, is been the real mission of Sonic Pi. So Sonic Pi is overtone but easy. <laughs> Interesting. So I want to, I want to, that actually, I want to loop back to the the, the education aspect. I mean, you, you've uh, mentioned a couple times that, um, uh, and I, I'm going to make a typical American uh, assumption and equate the UK and Britain <laughs> Some. <laughs> possibly get the wrong one, but th there's an effort, an educational effort in uh, going on in your part of the world right now to teach yeah. everyone some aspect of uh, computer programming or computer science. I'm not sure what the right yeah. um, I'm not sure everybody's aware of that. I wonder if you could... Yeah, so that was um, Simon Peton Jones was one of the sort of the main um, kickstarters of that, that campaign and um, managed to form a group called CAS, Computing at School, and they uh, lobbied the government to create a new curriculum for what's called computing, uh, which includes algorithm design, uh, abstraction, you know, conditionals, the standard programming stuff. So it's about teaching fundamentals of programming. And the idea is to have a curriculum, which we do have now. So the government accepted that and they put it into place. So there is now an official curriculum. It's now one of the sciences. It's the fourth science. And it's across the board from primary school, so this is very young, to just before university. People have an opportunity, schools have an opportunity, there's a curriculum available for teaching computing. Now, unfortunately, not all schools have to do this. It's not. It's, it's totally optional. They have to do some sciences, so they're probably going to choose often like physics and chemistry over computing. There's a lot of schools in the UK which are uh, self regulated so they don't have to follow any kind of curriculum requirements uh, and that's the sort of the private schools as well as so-called academies which are sort of schools turned into businesses which is a bit a bit of a strange idea but these schools they also have complete autonomy on, on what they teach and so having a computing curriculum is step one but there are many more steps before we can really say we've succeeded in actually getting computing in all the schools i mean first of all we need to try and get more schools to, to take on computing so we need to lobby the schools through the, through the parents probably and we also and this is a, a real mission we need to train teachers to be able to, to deliver the new computing curriculum as well so there's no point even getting a computing curriculum and then getting in schools we also need to have the, the teachers and we need to support the teachers so they can actually effectively deliver it and and continue to keep it up to date so that's one of the reasons why Sonic Pi exists as, as a tool to help teachers get started teaching computing. We've created schemes of work, so lesson plans to get them started. There's um, when we're trying to create a community around it so that people can always sort of ask for help and and, uh, and have an easy ways and easy access to, to, to answers and to, to, to ideas to, to engage kids. Does that make sense? It does, and it actually leads straight to one of the questions I wanted to ask you that I yeah. would like people that are working on uh, on projects out in the open is you know is is there a, a good or a best way for people that want to help to to help this effort 
Well, so I guess it depends on where you are. So in the UK, there are lots of code club things popping up. So these are sort of organisations which are really involved in schools and are putting professional programmers into schools, and they'll they'll help you with that. There's the UK also has something called STEMnet, Science, Technology, Engineering, Mathematics Network, and this is an organisation which again is is it's broadly for the whole of the sciences, but computing falls into that. Will again link up professional programmers with schools so that they can get involved and find a school that needs some help and start running a, a clove club or a sonic pie club or a raspberry pie club or just a programming club or a scratch club or whatever it is just anything to get kids programming uh, and to support the teachers you can also go into give talks at schools that's one of the things i've been doing recently i'm i'm booked up to give an assembly which i'm pretty excited about uh so i'm just gonna like, bust out some crazy acid uh, uh drum and bass <laughs> So this is what this is the music I listened to when I was a kid and see if I can get them excited. Yeah, and just, just show them actually coding is much more than apps and websites, essentially. That's very cool. So I, I want to ask you a bit about your performance. I mean, you have a band, uh, MetaX. Yeah, yeah. It's a real band. This is not some gimmick. You guys play gigs. You happen to use computers as your instruments. but Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I Unfortunately, I wanted to see you guys play when I was in St. Louis, but I didn't Man. manage to. That's twice now you should be shameful. Like, you haven't played with Sonic Pi and you didn't come and see MetaX when we performed. I know why I had you on the show is to, to show me the true path here. I should have. This is the true path, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's on my list. So is, do you guys have <laughs> uh, performances online that I can see since I didn't manage to? We've got a couple uh, recordings, but they're not, we're not super proud of them. Like one of the, one of the problems of... So now we're talking about sort of the artistic properties of code and of live coding. I mean, and this is one of the things that people talk about code and live code. And people often use the word live code when they're doing a demo on stage, doing a, a presentation, right? Like, I'm going to knock up a website, live code, or I'm going to live code this. And to me, that's not live coding. That's coding live. You know, that's just, just doing some code in front of an audience. To me, live coding is when you're actually performing and you're really treating it as your means of artistic expression. Uh, and so when you're live coding music, there are a bunch of exciting things that come across from that, but there's also a, a number of obstacles. Like first and foremost, you're using an interface that no one understands. You know, not even typically programmers understand programming as a musical interface, and so that's a barrier. It's like I, I always use this analogy. It's like going to like a Jimi Hendrix concert not knowing what a guitar is. <laughs> it's like what the hell is that guy wearing that big wooden medallion for? Like what is that thing? <laughs> why is he touching it in really weird ways like he's like sort of loving it and caressing it and flipping his fingers around and if you don't know what a guitar is it, it's probably a very strange experience to watch someone certainly a virtuosic guitar player so similarly if you're going to see a live coder perform how the hell you deconstruct and break down and figure out what the interface is and figure out where and even if there's any virtuosity that's actually a tough problem. And so that's one of the problems. Another problem is that um, people, when they listen to electronic music, they, they're, they're accustomed to listening to super polished sounds. You know, like the electronic music has, over, over many years, has evolved into this form, which is where the virtuosity is in the studio. So if you look, listen to, like, say, the, list, the recent Daft Punk album, it sounds crazy expensive. That's because it probably was crazy expensive. <laughs> they spent a long time in really high quality studios with a lot of engineers, like teams of people figuring out how to massage the sound into something which was beautiful. Uh, and you get some amazing results from that. And I guess it's not too dissimilar from photoshopping 
something you know you can really make it look pristine and you've spent enough time massaging all of the blemishes off something then you can get some some crazy effects but of course what that loses is the reality and it loses the moment and it, it can create some sort of like postmodern idealistic vision of something which can't actually ever exist maybe that thing can't you can't create it in the real moment it has to only be created with an extensive amount of time on the side and so when you when you're actually in the moment and you're actually making the sounds there and then you don't have that luxury of six months on crafting your low pass filters uh, envelope you have to do it there and then and so it's going to sound rawer and it's going to sound rougher and there's going to be mistakes and it's going to explode at times and crap out at times but at other times it's going to be super beautiful because in that moment is a human and the audience and they're interacting and there's an interaction that can happen through the sound and through the improvisation that can't happen if the work is done in the studio and so somehow we need to find ways to 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 get audiences to understand that that live coding can open up new pathways to enjoying live music they just have to realize that the sound isn't going to be as polished and accept the mistakes and just enjoy where the musician is taking the sounds and how they're, how they're manipulating it and crafting it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, I asked, are there any recordings? And <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. No, 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 no. Spent no, too it, long talking about nonsense. No, no, no. Actually, no, it was, it was great because it points out that I think that that aspect of live music, I mean, I've, I've gone to shows, everybody has, I suspect, where they're like, oh, I, I heard this band, I like them, let me go check them out. And you go, and they just do not sound good live. I mean, they, it's just boring, right? Yeah, so we like the opposite of that. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, when you go to MetaRex to see an experience, to experience the live coding, to be there, to be part of that feedback loop, to be part of the music. And we play for the audience. And when we record that, some of it sounds okay, but it's not as good as a professionally recorded studio piece. And so when you're listening to a recording, you're comparing it to something which has been polished in the studio. And that's not a necessarily fair comparison. But when you're seeing us live, you're actually seeing us live. And all the work we've done has all been live. All our practices are all live. All our recordings are from live sessions. Everything's about, we need to be able to make all our sounds live. We can't, we can't say, OK, that was a good composition. Let's sit down and tweak the buttons until it's out. it has to be able to be performed live. Yeah, I feel like so. First of all, let me apologize when I said exactly a moment ago. My my implication was that it's exciting live, not that it's boring recorded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just it's just it's just tough to explain these things. And you have to come and experience some some live coding. And, and um, but I think probably before you experience live coding, you need to give it a crack yourself. Because that's part of the problem of the, the first problem of understanding the interface and deconstructing what's going on. Similarly, if you want to watch a virtuosic guitarist, you probably want to pick up a guitar first and have a strum with it. And it just just feel it, like squeeze it and move your hands around and see that there's some strings and give them a rub. And, you know, and so that you have like a, a, a relationship with the physical object so that when you see someone else have clearly a very sophisticated relationship, you can appreciate that sophistication. So similarly with live coding, I think that you want to give give it a try yourself. And then when you see somebody who's practiced it for a long time, you, you might be able to perceive that virtuosity, which is why I built Sonic Pi, is to give people that super quick inroad to be able to get that uh, first experience of live coding and to, to own it and to really feel that they can do interesting things. Yeah, this, you know, this is a 
a theme that I think comes up every time I've, well, not that I've seen everything, but every time I've seen something that has been a really successful experience for for my daughter, um, who's clearly a beginner, it's been, I, I've sat back and said, well, they made something visceral, primitive. I mean, Scratch is great at this. Yeah. Um, and not the greatest programming language in the world, but you know, like the distance between I did something and something I can understand happened was very short. Very that short. has to be super short, yes. Which with Hello World is, I don't, is not, I mean, for some people it is. Like, I mean, I think a lot of our listeners, they have that moment of, oh, wow, I kind of get that there's this machine and like, you know, the gears turn and this thing came out the other side and it, they, they understand the abstract notion. But I think uh, the work you're doing is about making it more visceral than abstract. But also that everyone, like everyone listening, if you've programmed before, you'll have all had that moment early on in your lives or more recently, depending on when you started programming, when you first realized, hell, I could have an idea and make it real. And that would that was when I first remember that experience, it was just a mind blowing experience. But a lot of us have since forgotten that. And part of forgetting that is is just learning that to be a, a serious programmer, you have to do a lot of delayed gratification. You have to say, well, OK, I'm going to get a result, but maybe in two days or maybe in two weeks. And I'm just going to graft at this until all the pieces are in place. And then when I press the button and the signals flow through and all the logic gates all connect nicely and beautifully, I get my my behavior. And programmers, good programmers can do that delayed gratification very, very successfully. But beginners can't. And, and we shouldn't expect them to. And the tools we use as professional programmers aren't necessarily the tools we should teach with because of that difference. Because we're happy with delaying that gratification for engineering goals, for making the code easy to reason about at the later stage, for making it easy for multiple people to work on, um, because we're happy to understand that we get an appreciation for this part of the code is it's not going to change much, and this part is we don't really know how it's going to work out, so we're going to make that really abstract or we're going to put some flexibility in there. And These are decisions as we do as architects to, to help us keep the project alive over long periods of time but and tools we, we're using hopefully help us do that but they're not the same goals as teaching or getting started and so yeah there's a, i think there's a real big mismatch and when when i see professional programmers think wow well, okay i'm going to help teach programming and then they think well what would i like now or what would i like to if i could go back to my self 10 years ago 20 years ago what would i what would i build or use I think that's actually often the wrong starting point. And we end up trying to teach TDD or something, you know, and uh, just doesn't make any sense. You want something which is exciting and gratifying and gives people a creative experience that they can really own and feel it's theirs. And then when they start to build really terrible code, you know, which is just bloated or just too many lines or there's no proper use of abstraction, at that point you say, okay, well, we have tools to deal with this complexity. You know, and these are the tools. And then they go, ah, cool, I'll use those tools now. But if we try and teach with those tools initially, it's just, I remember trying to teach functions, for example, uh, thinking this is this is super useful. Variables, in fact, actually, before functions. And the kids were just didn't know why they had variables. And they didn't know why they had functions. And I tried to explain, and I did the best I can, simple explanations. But because they didn't have a framework to fit it on that mattered or meant anything to them, these are just meaningless words which just washed away like water. But once they once we changed tack and we said, okay, next week we're going to do making a baseline, suddenly they're excited. Oh, cool, a baseline. And you say, oh, 
what's a bass line? And they say, oh, it's a load of notes. So, oh, okay, so we need something to store some notes in. That'll, that'll be a list. Oh, okay, what's a list? It's something to store notes in. And what are notes? Oh, they're numbers. Okay. So suddenly you've got this conversation you can have where you're introducing useful data structures or concepts or abstractions because they actually mean something to the people using them. Um, and so I don't think we should necessarily get too carried away trying to design exciting things that, that we would want now to use to teach. I think we need to sort of figure out what it is what's going to help the learning experience. You're making me uh, you're making me excited here, Sam. I, I want huh. I want to come take your class. I want to I want to sit in a room with you and experience. Well, hey, so we teach closure. Do you know any closure? <laughs> uh, a little, sometimes. So that... Some some people might say not if they've looked at my code, but you know. <laughs> so that's the that's the interesting thing. Like the the workshops I've been doing as part of Lambda Next in the UK and in Germany and well, Europe in general have taken a lot of the ideas and a lot of the experiences I've got from working with teachers in schoolrooms and taking them into the professional office space. And a lot of that is about acting out and examples which are visible. And so we'll teach uh, closure sequences with strings and we'll teach references with paper cups. You know, And these are all about trying to make the concepts clear and open. And then we go to the code and say, right, so those paper cups, this is how it, how it figures out in the code, you know. Uh, and so and the string we can talk about, like, for example, we can we can go from sequences to reducers, you know, by talking about look at all the string on the floor. That's all got to be GC'd and cleaned away by the cleaner with reducers. We don't need all that string, for example. So we can make these the benefits really visible. Yeah. So, so again, like from from a, even from teaching professional programmers, things like closure, these ideas are actually super valuable and super useful. Um, you actually reminded me uh, to switch tacks a little bit. Um, <laughs> you said visual a couple times there. Yeah, I, w I want to ask you about Quill. It's one of the things you've been involved with, unless I'm wrong on that, that I actually yeah. spent any time with. So, I mean, like, up till Sonic Pi, all the projects I've been involved with, I've kind of, like, just piggybacked off other people's amazing work. So the chap called Roland, he actually started off Quill. He, he was calling it Clojure Processing at the time, and I was playing around with it, and it was sort of semi-complete project, and it mostly worked. So then I, I really liked it. I was really enjoying working with it. So I just decided to take it on and just sort of polish it off and complete the circle, as it were. Yeah, and that's a really cool tool for interacting with uh, the processing library from Clojure. And that gives us actually a number of exciting benefits over processing itself, one of which is sort of the, uh, the live coding aspect. You can, with processing, you'd write some like Java-like code and you'd press the run button and it would generate you this cool picture, depending on what, obviously what code you'd written. And then you think, oh, I think I'll change this or I'll modify that. So you go and modify the code, and then you press the run button again, and it would stop your sketch, kill it all down, tear it down, recompile, rebuild the sketch, and boop, there's your new picture. And so this sort of this annoyed me. And so with Quill, you can just totally update a var in place, and suddenly you've got this new picture, and you don't have to start and stop the sketch. It's all dynamically hot-swapped in place because of the, of the joys and the benefits that Clojure bring. Uh, yeah, so that's really nice. So you actually are able to modify the processing sketch on the fly, which then means that you can start to do animations by just writing code and seeing them. So you can start to be a, a visual DJ. It also means that you can start to um, hook it in with things like Overtone and have awesome visuals that you can actually can control and steer as the sound is modifying it as well. So you can sort of have both automated and uh, manual manipulations happening concurrently. It's not, and again, that's another one for getting people started. I mean, especially if you're teaching Clojure, it's a great way of, of getting some results very quickly and, and demonstrating yeah, key aspects of Clojure.
but you know, really, Sam, what have you done lately? No, I'm totally kidding. Um, huh. So, but I, but I do want to make sure that. Do you know what I've done lately? Yeah, the yeah. Most exciting thing is yeah. I've I've started to form this top secret. Although I'm obviously telling everyone about this, uh, I've started to form a Sonic Pi core team, which I'm really excited about. So I've got about I've got four people who are uh, collaborating. We've created a, a, a chat room and we're we're designing things and I'm giving them till Sonic Pi 2.1's release before I'll announce their names, so they have a chance to sort of back out if they don't if they don't want to be part of it. But uh, but it's super exciting to see that uh, uh, I'm gaining some attraction and certainly in the development space and some support and help so that the windows version for example was written by one of these guys and so that's really beautiful to see other people getting involved and helping me out so that's what i've been up to lately starting communities do you do you guys have uh do you does your team have code names no no we just got normal names well sam aaron is an awesome name though so thanks thanks yeah (laughs) um we have come to the part of the show where we start to sort of curve back towards the uh towards closing down but i want to make sure we save time for anything else you'd like to share i mean we, we heard about the uh yeah topic, or is there anything else that you want to that we didn't get a chance to talk about yet today that you'd like to let our listeners know so there's always things i want to talk about i'll probably listen back and think oh i didn't talk about that thing like, come back uh, <laughs> thank you well yeah i'm yeah. always welcome to yeah. uh, if people want me to I mean, first of all i'm that. sorry yeah. i'm just gonna say i can't imagine people not wanting you to come on so go ahead. well we'll see we'll see I guess first thing is I, I'm available online for people to ask questions to and to talk to and meet. And I'm always happy to talk to people about any of the stuff I'm doing. So if you've got any questions, then just throw them at me. Twitter, a good way to do that? Or? Twitter, Sam Aaron on Twitter. Exactly. Yeah, that's probably the best thing. Okay. Yeah. If, if you're interested in Sonic Pi, well, you should be totally interested in Sonic Pi. You should totally give it a try. I'm super interested in your um, your thoughts. There's a tutorial which is built in, so you can just go and follow that and, and learn how to code. Yeah, it's really, I mean, you can't miss it, which is one of the things I, when I open it up, I'm like, oh, great, this is right here. I, I just have to, you know, open the program and, and click click it and go. Yeah. I guess one of the one of the most exciting things that, that just happened to me recently is that, um, you know this guy, Joseph Wilkes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a dude. Yeah. Um, He's like the only guy I know who's really spent the time to read all my ridiculous code for Overtone and MetaX in particular. And his performances have really taken the work I've done and remixed it and projected it into new lights that are just uh, uh, inspiring to see. And uh, so it's always a joy to watch him perform. He actually performed at uh, the farm workshop, part of ICFP in uh, Sweden. My mind's blanked, but recently, and it was he got a standing ovation because it was so amazing. But what's super exciting to see is that I imagine, right, that with the Sonic Pi thing, well, first of all, it was just like a toy, and now it's like a, a pretty cool toy. That I, so I imagine that people would pick it up and play with it and make some sounds, and then as you're saying, ah, oh, I want to be able to design my own sound, so now I'm going to break out into Overtone or Super Collider proper or whatever, or the Tidal, or there's loads of cool live coding languages, and loads of them on the browser as well, which are really exciting, like Jibber. And so I expected that to be like a transition path. But here's Joseph, who's like the, one of the most fluent overtone programmers I know, if not the most fluent, is now using Sonic Pi a lot. Like, to me, that's, that's insane uh, and just pretty crazy, but also super exciting. So again, like if you're thinking about playing about with, with live coding, with music, and you thought you might give overtone a try, maybe don't. <laughs> I shouldn't be not selling my libraries, but it's like Apple releasing the new iPod, you know, and then 
deprecating the old one. But Overtone is totally not deprecated. But I think Sonic Pie can give you some really super exciting experiences very quickly. Yeah, and, and that's great. And I think they, I think the Overtone sweet spot is doing the kind of thing that Rich did with the harmonic kit. It's, 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 Clojure is an amazing language for building concurrent systems. And Overtone provides you with the ability to take that power and to build new forms of instruments that, that you can only imagine. Uh, and I think Overtone Sweet Spot is exactly that. It's for building your own bespoke musical concurrent instruments where you've got five people with different interfaces, which are all orthogonal yet joining, which are all interacting. And you can, if you can imagine it, you can build it with Overtone. Whereas Sonic Pi is a pre-made instrument. So it is like the kazoo, but it is a insanely powerful kazoo uh, that can get you started very quickly. So you don't get the same control in terms of new builds, but you get lots of control in terms of making sounds. Yeah. That makes any sense. And it's, uh, it was just crazy to see someone like Joseph actually get on board and, and get excited about Sonic Pi. I, I didn't expect that. Anything else? Anything else? I like to say a thank you to all my friends and like my family and <laughs> academy. Yeah. Well, one thing I'd like to say yeah is um the most exciting thing that happened to me in, in the last well I've had two exciting things happen to me in the last uh, two days. One was I met up with a guitarist and I jammed with him with Sonic Pi in a warehouse on the edge of Cambridge, which was just it turned out to be an amazing experience. So finding musicians to work with actually is super cool. But the second thing is that last night I uh, I had an evening to myself. And so I, I've got this little mini projector. I projected the code onto the wall in my living room. I've got these really cool little mini rig speakers, which make a really nice sound, like a sub, and there's like a little tweeter thing. But they, they're really a beautiful sound. So these are mini rigs. And I had a Raspberry Pi, and all connected together, all battery powered, no mains. And I projected the, the code onto the wall, and I st- thought, what can I do with this little crappy, very low-powered computer? compared to the work I've been doing with Sonic Pi on my Mac, which is you can really throw any code at it pretty much and it just takes it. Whereas with the Raspberry Pi, you've got to be very careful that you can very easily overload its CPU. And I had the most beautiful experience creating sounds which were really interesting and intricate and evolving. And uh, yeah, it was just a mind-blowing experience. And so you can make some really cool sounds just with the Raspberry Pi. And that's uh, definitely, for me, a, 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 a really key part of my artistic future is to use the Raspberry Pi as a, as a musical instrument. And one of the fun things is that when you start to push its uh, uh, capabilities, you reach the CPU limitations, the, the whole machine starts to glitch in really interesting ways. And so you can sort of force it to, to glitch threshold and get it to glitch and just keep it there and then bring it back and take it forward again and sort of treat the overloading of the CPU as a parameter you can control and modify to, to make interesting sounds. And that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's really exciting. <laughs> yep. I just keep watching what, what's going on Sonic Pi because I, the, the, the version two, which is there now is, is nothing compared to the ideas I've got that's going to be there in, in a year's time. So it's going to be really exciting to see it develop forwards. Well, that is amazing, but I think uh, that will, that's... I'm done. <laughs> my brain is, my mind is blown. My mind is blown. I'll have to give it a chance to recover before our next conversation, which I hope will not be uh, too terribly long from now. And I would love to have you back on to share that conversation with our users. But of course, I hope you have saved enough brain power to answer this question. Although I guess normally we get to this part and, and it's a bit of a mystery. I suppose our listeners know what you're going to say. Still, I will ask you uh, to for a song that we're going to play our way out on. All right. 
That's a really good question. I think that I'm going to play out on another song that I haven't yet written. Okay. Um, yeah. Can I get I mean, you? I, 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 had, I did have some ideas, but I actually think it's just good to show. I mean, I, talking is one thing, but showing through sounds is actually a better way to demonstrate the kinds of things you can do. Oh, I love it. No, this is fantastic. I wonder, and you can just say, I don't know yet, but I'm, I wonder maybe we could get a title. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the first title for the first part would be... Um, Time travel. Okay. And this part is uh, goodbyes. Oh, I love it. Okay, fantastic. Well, goodbyes is coming up in the background right now. While that plays us out, I will uh, take this opportunity to thank you extremely much, Sam, for coming on the show. We, thank you, know, you for I, having me. Oh no, not at all. I mean, it's our pleasure. It was. Uh, we had some challenges getting getting scheduled. This is, I think, our <laughs> fourth or fifth attempt, but uh, worth worth it. I mean, it was it was no big deal. It was fine. Yeah. I'm glad that we definitely kept at it and connected up because it's been a super interesting conversation for me and I think our, our listeners will agree so uh, thanks a boatload for taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule making incredibly cool things to come on and talk to us and please play with the incredibly cool things That's yes why I make them. well I know you're not just talking to me but I will answer for myself and say that it is now 100% in my uh, uh, curriculum uh, probably actually moving up it was already on the list but I think I'm going to move it up in the list of things that um I do with my daughter when we when we take time to program together so that would be wicked yeah and that's that's actually a really exciting thing just to have that sharing of of teaching from parent to child well so then we will close down there i will thank all of our listeners uh this has been the cognitive you have been listening to the cognicast the Cognicast is a production of Cognitech Inc., whom you can find on the web at Cognitech.com and on Twitter at Cognitech. Our guest today was Sam Aaron on Twitter at Sam Aaron, S-A-M-A-A-R-O-N. Episode cover art is by Michael Parento. Audio production by Russ Olson. Our producer is Kim Foster. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Thanks for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.